manatees that uh, many of us have been so passionate about. Um, arguably none more so than, say, Patrick Rose, who is the executive director of Save the Manatee Club. And, uh, Patrick, the last time we talked with you, you said you were getting ready to uh, to sue the feds, and that happened. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm interested to get an update. Appreciate you taking the time. Yes. Uh, good morning, Brian, and thanks for having me. Yeah, we were actually hopeful they were going to agree with us and that the water quality standards were insufficient and they were adversely affecting manatees. At the last minute, they uh, decided to stand with their decision of a decade ago and and say it wouldn't adversely affect manatees. And so we did have to go forward with our lawsuit in partnership with Earth Justice and, and some other organizations because this situation is so dire. So, Patrick, just to kind of reset for people that might not be aware of all the machinations that have led to this particular point, we know there are many causes, reasons, uh, and entities uh, from local, state, and federal that have contributed, but also they need to come together to be part of the solution moving forward. Uh, If you'll kind of give us an idea of what you're um, attesting to being the failures of the federal government and and hence the, the lawsuit that's being brought against the EPA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Yes, so the the underlying problem is that there's too much nutrient pollution from human waste in the form of nitrogen and phosphorus. And the federal government under the Clean Water Act is responsible for setting those standards in terms of what the minimum amount of protection and what the water quality needs to be. We believe that was set too low. We believe that those standards are being exceeded and it's resulting in harmful algal blooms that have shaded out and killed the seagrass, which has led to manatees dying. And so what we're saying is that you got it wrong back in 2013. Now you need to update it, reinitiate your consultation with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Marine Fisheries Service, evaluate why is this failing so bad so that we can get on the proper course to set the standards that are going to allow us to, to go forward and improve water quality, therefore allow the seagrasses to regrow. Earlier this week, um, we had passing in Congress the uh, the effort that uh, Congressman Brian Mass has been working on for years, and uh, now it's on its way to uh, to President Biden to sign that would uh, bring additional um, testing and and uh, federal uh, research into Florida's waters. What do you uh, what's your assessment of that legislation, and uh, do you think it'll it'll be helpful with uh, what you're trying to accomplish here? It will be helpful and it's needed, but it doesn't really fix what is broken at the base level. And so, so we applaud that. It's, it's going to tell us a lot more about, you know, what is happening. Um, but it's, it's not going to get to the next big step besides what we've been talking about, improving the standards and then monitoring and making sure they're being met is that we also are going to have to get into much more remediation. So folks are very familiar with the decades of work that's gone on in the Everglades, and and there have been billions of dollars put into that with a B. And Chesapeake Bay went through similar problems, and and billions have been spent there to help recover that. 
we believe the Indian River Lagoon needs to be raised to that major program level because it's been identified there's about five to six billion dollars worth of work that's going to have to take place because of so many problems mm. and the amount of pollution that's coming into that system to turn it around. And and again, this bill will will be good for understanding what the science is and what's happening, but we need that funding to come behind it at a level that can actually cause the ecosystem to be restored. Yeah, Patrick, uh, we know the Army Corps has revised uh, their discharge schedule, though that's not going to start until sometime after the dike restoration project is finished, and that's going to take us sometime into next year. Uh, How would you rank the the Army Corps' cooperation for the, the purpose of what we need in our waterways at this point? Well, I do believe the Corps' response has improved of late, but it, but the problem, the underlying problem from the extra excess nutrient coming from the sugar industry and in in within Lake Okeechobee itself is, again, still a monumental problem. So they're incrementally helping it, but an awful lot has to happen. And, of course, that affects coming in around St. Lucie and, and that area in the southern Indian River Lagoon. The other huge problems are going on in the far north end within Brevard County and southern Volusia County, where the devastation from the harmful algal blooms there has been so extensive, we've lost more than 90% of the seagrass biomass, and and that's where the majority of the starvation. So it's not to undercut or underplay the severity of the problem coming through the St. Lucie Canal, but when you add both ends of the system being so exacerbated in terms of excess nutrient loading, it's really hard for every one of those organisms that depend on those seagrass communities, whether it's our fisheries, the dolphins, the sea turtles, and they're all being affected by these problems. To that point, you might have uh, caught this, uh, you know, just really awful story uh, earlier this week where, in uh, you know, Biscayne Bay, you had the, these guys on a boat that were just popping balloons into the water. Um, you know, of course, you're an aquatic biologist, uh, for people who don't know. Give us an idea about how problematic that is. Well, just, just the balloons themselves can be eaten by sea turtles and other organisms that, that will mistake that for food. I'm not intimately familiar with what went on there, but I, I can say that there have been historical problems, obviously, with all kinds of plastics and, and other materials. And so it's, it's just not a good idea. We, there, there are known adverse consequences. And I'll also say that even Biscayne Bay, as much as the interchange that occurs within the ocean systems and so forth there is showing earlier early signs of the transition away from seagrasses towards these algal situ- you know uh, different algal species that are sort of a precursor to the kind of problems we're seeing farther north in the Indian River Lagoon but it, it's really incumbent on all of us even our in how much fertilizer we put on our lawns and what makes its way into the stormwater systems makes a big difference so when you think about the hundreds of thousands of lawns too Folks may not think about that they're, you know, have an effect either good or bad, but that's also something to really think about each time you're looking at whether you're applying chemicals for, for like fertilizers or other uh, insecticides and so forth. Those can also play a significant role. 
Well, and, and to your point, Patrick, you know, we have the, the news over just the, the past day in the Keys, uh, where we have two sperm whales that have died first, uh, that had a necropsy show that it likely was due to plastics and fishing nets that accumulated, uh, in the digestive tract. And, uh, you know, time and again, you know, we, we see the impact. And if it's happening to something the size of a sperm whale, imagine what happens to, uh, to everything, you know, uh, of a, a smaller size with all of it. Um, just um, one more, somewhat related, um, you know, note. Last I saw a couple of weeks ago, it looked like in, in theory there was some progress on manatee deaths over last year's record year with all the starvation taking place. I think we're down about a quarter of the rate of manatee deaths uh, thus far this year. Is that due to actual progress, or are we t- taking a look at just fewer deaths because the numbers are smaller because of last year's record die-off? I think it's a little bit of both, but it's an awful lot of the fact that we've, we've lost 1,600 manatees statewide in the last 16 months. And so just on the east coast of Florida, there have been almost a 1,000 manatees that have died during that time period. And so that's over 20% of the east coast population. So that alone would would tell you that some of these numbers are because we have less manatees. On a positive side, the supplemental feeding that occurred this this last winter, there are manatees alive today that wouldn't have been had that not happened. But that doesn't fix the problem. That just helps them get over that hump during the winter when they're having to to guard against the cold and, and find enough food at the same time. Again, going back to you know, we've lost so much of the seagrass, which is what these animals depend on, and other, of course, other fishes and sea turtles and rays all depend on it, too. So we're at about 545 dead manatees already this year. A large percentage of those are from starvation. We're looking at the aerial surveys and keeping track of where the manatees are and how many are there. Another really bleak uh effect from that is that one recent survey of 817 manatees only found two calves. And so the recruitment or reproduction is going to be affected for decades. So there, there, many are surviving, but they're, they're in weak state. They're, many of the calves died, you know, at early ages and the others just aren't having even able to get pregnant because their body condition is so poor. Want to contribute to uh, Patrick and his team's effort? SaveTheManatee.org. SaveTheManatee.org. Patrick Rose, the executive director. Appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you, Brian. You have a great day.